Philippians. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, and tonight I'm going to be reading from uh, the New Living Translation mainly. I usually read from the New King James, but I feel like tonight the verses that I'm going to read really fit a little bit better with the New Living Translation. So, Philippians 2 and verse 3. Everybody there? Anybody ready for tonight? In verse 3 it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Verse 4, don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others too. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think, it, think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave of his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being when he, when he appeared in human form. Verse 8, and he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Verse 9, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all names. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. But notice in verse 3, this is going to be one of the key verses for tonight. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Verse 4, don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Amen? Let's look at Galatians. Galatians 2. Like I said, I usually read from New King James, but tonight we're going to be from the New Living mainly. So New Living Translation, if it sounds a little different than normal. Galatians 2 and verse 20. It says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. Let's go home right there. It says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You guys good tonight? Promise, you're good tonight. You're excited about tonight. We're going to start a new series tonight. And it has to do with our competition we just started. So tonight, if you're taking notes, the title of this new series and this new message is called Me, My Selfie, and I. Me my selfie and die this is the uh, the new series we're going to start you guys excited about it ready for it so me my selfie and I and really you could give this, this is kind of like a under title to tonight me my selfie and I but this is what I wrote down how to get over yourself and live a God-centered life how to get over yourself and live a God-centered life. So that's really the main focus of this series. I don't know how many weeks we're going to do it, at least a couple weeks. 
But this series, Me, Myself, and I, it's all about how do I get over myself and live a God-centered life. Everybody good tonight? You ready? Now let's look back over at Philippians. Then we'll park there, Philippians. Philippians 2. So how to get over yourself and live a God-centered life. Now, before we go any further in this message, let me say this. So we're talking about me, myself, and I. Now, tonight when we're talking about this, some of you are already trying to figure out where we're going with this. So I'm going to tell you where we're not going with it first, okay? Now, since we're talking about me, myself, and I, this is what I'm not talking about tonight. I'm not talking about bashing social media tonight. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not giving you your typical youth pastor message. Y'all are sinners. You need to stop being on social media and posting selfies. That's not what I'm talking about. And if you post selfies on a regular basis, I'm not bashing you either. Now, let me say this. Underscore. Hashtag. Let me say this. If 95% of your pictures on Instagram are selfies, you do got a problem. But for the rest of us who post them every once in a while... I'm not talking to you, so don't take offense. But if you have 95% of your pictures are just you, then we'll talk later. You need deliverance. And this message really pertains to you. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about, hey, don't post selfies, because we just had the selfie challenge. And I did that on purpose because we're leading up to this message. And I don't think it's wrong for you to post a selfie on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or MySpace for those who live back in the day. Um... And for Haas, LinkedIn profile, which he has. So um, <laughs> that's for the business professional crowd. So tonight I'm not saying don't ever post selfies because that means you're a selfish, self-centered person because we just had that fun game. And it's fun to do stuff like that. But this is not what I'm saying also. I'm not going to just bash all of us in here for being selfish. Okay? Before I go any further... Let's just all admit it, we're all selfish in here. Awful quiet in this Methodist church. No, we're all selfish in here, including myself. We all think about ourselves all the time. So this message is not just, let me bash everybody for being selfish so they feel bad about themselves, because that's not going to change you. You're just feeling bad about yourself. That's not going to change you whatsoever. So that's not what I'm talking about. But tonight, we want to get to some deeper issues, if that's okay. And when I say selfie, I looked this up, and I shouldn't have looked it up. Don't look it up in Urban Dictionary, okay? We did this for chasing paper, and it worked kind of, but I, <laughs> this is the life of the youth, a youth pastor. You have to look up some of these words sometimes. Now, I know what it means, but I wanted a, a, just a, an actual definition of selfie. Uh there's a lot of mean definitions of selfie, but selfies, you know, it's a picture you take of yourself and you post it on social media. But I like what it said in a couple of the profiles. It said, a preferably with a kissy face or a duck face. <laughs> so if you're going to take a selfie, you need to do something with your lips, whether it's kissy face, duck face, some sort of, or for myself, you just flare your nostrils because that's what looks cool in pictures. And so... Um, and then you got to pick the right filter so you look tan. 
and you got to look, you know, you got to look good, the right angle and everything else. It's totally different. It's funny. There's Instagram pictures and there's Snapchat pictures. If we could only put the Snapchat pictures on Instagram, no girls or guys would ever talk to any of you in here ever again. Isn't that right? Why? Because we think Instagram's going to last forever and Snapchat's gone in 10 seconds. So let me post the ugliest face. But let me just encourage you guys. Why don't we start posting Snapchat pictures on Instagram just for a week? I want to see what happens. How many friends you lose because of those pictures? But this is this is a true um, this is a true statistic. Okay, uh, it's it's a, this is an average that every day one million selfies are posted on social media. Every day in the world there is at least one million selfies posted every day. That's a lot of people who like to take pictures of themselves. Isn't it? (laughs) Y'all still here? One million every day people are taking pictures of themselves. And and there's really a deeper issue and I want to say this as we get going here. Um, We have more technology than ever before. We're more connected with people than ever before. We all have more friends, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We have more friends than ever before. But why are we more lonely than we've ever been before? Y'all still here? Why are we still, we got more things to do every day, but we're still, we're bored all the time. We're lonely all the time. Because there's a deeper issue than that. You know, why do we have more amenities than ever before? We have more amenities than any generation ever before us. We can be extremely lazy if we want to. (laughs) With our computers, with with our cars, uh, with with everything that we have in our lives, We, we have luxury in amenities, then why are we more miserable than we've ever been before as a generation? There's a reason because there's a deeper issue. And the whole, the whole thing about taking selfies, I'm not saying this is every time, but a lot of times we do the things we do via social media. And I'm on social media, so I'm not bashing social media. But you got to ask the question, why am I doing this? Why am I posting this? What's the purpose? Because majority of time, it's because we're empty and we want compliments and we want likes and we want people to think that we're in the know and so we're on social media posting things why because we want to give people our highlight reel that's not our real life you know people don't take pictures on their bad days really now they type about it on Facebook but they don't put pictures on Instagram on their bad days say, I'm having a horrible day. Will someone please comment and cheer me up today? Why do we post, post things like that? Why do we do that? Because there's a deeper issue on the inside of us, all of us included. I know I posted things, and later I'm like, why did I post that exactly? Who did I post that for? So we're talking about me, my selfie, and I. And let's get to the deeper issues. And this whole self-centeredness, me first, is not something new, but in the culture we live in, it's kind of uh, just pushed into the forefront. 
And realize, since the beginning of time, people have been selfish and self-centered. You know, the reason we are the way we are today is because of our great, 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 great grandpa, Adam. Adam and Eve in the garden, he was the first person who became self-centered and selfish, and he sinned. And notice his nature came on all the rest of us, which his nature is self-centered in nature. Why? Because he took on the nature of the devil. Now, I'm not saying that you are the devil, and the devil is bad. I'm saying when we were born in this world under Adam, with his nature, he took on the same nature as the devil. And the devil's nature is selfish is self-centered and our tendency in our life is to be me focused is to be self-centered you know when you have a kid you don't have to teach them to be selfish <laughs> you don't have to teach them it's mine you don't have to teach them that what do you have to teach them you have to teach them sharing you have to teach them to be generous. You have to t teach them that the world does not revolve around them. That's what you have to teach them. Why do you have to teach them that? Because they have the nature of Adam. And all of us in here had that nature at one time. And, and realize you still have that in your body or in your flesh. There is a selfishness that's in you. I realize your spirit's reborn and wants to be a giving person, a God-centered person, but you live in a body or a flesh that still wants what you want all the time. And you're always thinking about self, me included. Y'all getting anything so far? Did you go home? These aren't take-a-lap messages. Let me just say that. That's why. I realize it's quiet in here. These aren't come to the altar type message. These are like think about your life type messages. But these will change your life more than hey, you're getting a new Bentley next week, get in the prayer line. <laughs> so we see that you don't got to teach anybody to think about themselves. It happens. You don't have to teach anybody what's theirs. They, they know what's theirs and they want what's theirs. But let me tell you something about a me-first life is a miserable life. A me-first life is a miserable life. And I realize the culture tells you the complete opposite. Your body tells you the complete opposite. The enemy tells you the complete opposite, but it's not true. I'm going to tell you why. Because the culture we, we live in helps that because it says, put yourself first. You deserve it. You need it. You need me time. It's all about you. And our culture says this all the time. All the commercials tell you this. You deserve it. You've earned it. It's all about you. What you need, what you want, it's all about you. And our parents do the same things to us. Awful quiet. And especially in the generation we live in, they get more pampered as it goes on. I was a pretty pampered generation. But it keeps going further and further, and it's all about you, and there's no losers. We're all winners here. 
and you're awesome, you're going to do great things. You deserve it, you've earned it, and that adds to the self-centeredness of our life. And then we wonder why we're more lonely and we're more miserable. Why? Because a me-first life or a self-centered life is a miserable life. And the enemy in the world and your body or your flesh will tell you that's not true you need to get all you can sit on the can it's all about you if you get everything you ever wanted you'll be happy you'll be satisfied but then when you get it you won't and that's a trick you know all of us in here and this is not to put any condemnation on anybody we think about ourselves the most out of anybody in our lives don't we myself included and that's not necessarily a bad thing because you have to because you are you you got to think about what am I going to eat next young men which that conversation comes up about every 10 minutes especially when you're younger you hit those growth spurts every 10 minutes what am, what am I going to eat next where's it going to come from you're thinking what am I going to do next what am I going to do today what do I want to do today? Am I going to have a fun day? What is that whole conversation about you? We all think that way. What's going to go on next? Am I going to have a good day today? Am I going to have a good time? What am I going to do? And we live a life that thinks mostly about us, but it doesn't make us happy. Now let's look at Philippians 2. In verse 3. Y'all still here? It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Notice that. Don't look out for your own interest, but look out for the interest of of others too you know I heard one wise preacher say before that really sin is not the issue anymore for a believer because you can deal with sin sin was dealt with with Jesus but he went on to say this you can deal with sin but you can't kick out self because you're going to live in this body the rest of your life. And your body, your flesh, yourself is going to want what it wants the rest of your life. Now your spirit's different, is reborn, and you can renew your mind to do what the Word of God says. But for the rest of your life, you can kick out sin, but you can't cast out self. You've got to live with self the rest of your life. So we've got to do something about ourself. And notice it says, don't be selfish don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take interest in others. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude or mind that Christ Jesus had. Now, there's the answer right there. I love it because the Apostle Paul doesn't just leave us hanging there like a lot of preachers do. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then they don't give us the the answer and the way we get out of that <laughs> well how do I do that 
You just said, don't do that. Well, how do I not do that? He just gave you the answer right there. Have the same attitude or mind that Jesus has. And notice he goes on and says, though Jesus was God, if he deserved to be praised and worshipped and everybody waiting on him, Jesus deserved it more than us, right? If, if anybody ever deserved to walk this planet to, to live a self-centered life, and yeah, you deserved it. You've earned it, Jesus. But Jesus did not live a self-centered life. He lived a God-centered life. And notice what happened. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave who was being born as a human being. Verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Verse 9, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what is he saying here? you got to understand that if you want to live a life that's God-centered and not self-centered, you have to have the same attitude and mindset that Jesus has. And you can have that, but it's a choice. Another place in the, in the Bible, it says that you have the mind of Christ. But notice it says, let this mind be in you, meaning it's not automatically going to happen just because you got saved, that you're going to think like Jesus thinks and have the same attitude he has. If you notice in these passages, it talks about think of others more than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. Notice being humble. Why? Because until you become humble like Jesus was humbled, you're only going to think about yourself. And that's a miserable way to live. You know the quickest way out of depression? Would you like to know, young person? Go do something for somebody else who has it worse than you do. Every time. Quickest way out. You want the quickest way out? It's not medication. The quickest way out of depression is go do something for somebody else who has it worse than you, which is a lot of people. Because when you start being thankful about what you already have, you'll realize what others don't have, and you can go help them, and that will immediately change your mood and your situation. Why? Because you start having the attitude and mindset that Jesus has and not that this world has. I'm preaching better than anybody saying anything right now. And so we can have the same attitude and mindset that Jesus has. And the way that we do that is through prayer. I got two points tonight. And the first one is, if we want to live a God-centered life and stop thinking about ourselves, is we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to spend time in prayer. You say that's super generic. I'm going to explain right here. So if we're going to live a God-centered life and not a me-centered life, a self-centered life, which, like I said at the beginning, the enemy tells you that's what you want, and that's what's going to fulfill you, and that's what's going to make you happy, and then when you get it, it doesn't, and then you're depressed because it didn't. No, you live a God-centered life. Because that's what brings true joy, true fulfillment, and makes your life what it's meant to be when you live a God-centered life.
So the first way we live a God-centered life and we, we forget about ourselves is we pray. Realize when Jesus was on the earth, it says he was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. Meaning, he had a body like we do. He had the world against him like we do. He had the devil against him like we do. But he didn't succumb to that pressure. He decided to live a God-centered life and not a self-centered life. Do you realize if Jesus lived a self-centered life, he would have never went to the cross. You don't see the significance of living a God-centered life until you put it in that perspective. We would all be lost forever if Jesus would have decided, I want to do what I want to do, me first. Let me be self-centered. Let me do what I want to do, but God's ways are not like our ways. And God says, you need to be God-centered because that's what will bring fulfillment to your life. And notice... Jesus would get away and pray a lot in the Gospels. What do you think he was doing all those times? He was realigning his attitude and his will and his mind to be God-centered and not self-centered. Because if he was going to live self-centered, he would not fulfill what the Father had for him. But it's the same thing with us. You say, well, that's Jesus, that's not me. No, but you have a will for your life, just like Jesus had a will for his life. But you will not get in it if you live a self-centered life instead of a God-centered life. And the way you do that is you pray. And then let me say, you pray daily. Because every day, trust me, your attitude needs a readjustment and a realignment that it's not about me and I'm not the center of the universe, God is. And every day you pray, when you pray to God, every day, you know what you're doing? You're taking you out of the center and putting God back in the center where he needs to be. I heard one preacher say this, when God is in the center, everything's in the right place. But when he's not, nothing's in the right place. <laughs> when he's not first, when he's not in the center of your life, everything is out of place. So when we pray, we take ourselves out of the center of our lives, the center of attention, and God goes in the center. Why? Because God's will for your life is better than your will for your life. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. Or you can be stubborn and say, I know better. I'm smarter, which you're not. And be self-centered and see the results you get. I'm preaching this not in a, in a way to condemn yourself for thinking selfishly, because we all do. I'm telling you to awaken to the life that you were always meant to live and the fulfillment you want and the joy you want and the satisfaction you want and you want to stop being lonely and you want to stop being miserable. Take yourself out of the center and put God back in the center and see what happens. <laughs> You'll start living the life that you were always meant to live but that only happens when you pray. Let me say daily. And you know what you pray? One of the main prayers you pray. What did Jesus say before he went to the cross when he was praying? Not my will, but your will. <laughs> Meaning, Jesus at the moment, himself, did not say, Yay, I get to go to the cross. That sounds fun. 
are you here? <laughs> his self was not saying, yes, that sounds awesome. I cannot wait to do that, God. Thank you for having that for my life. No, his, his self and his will was saying, God, I don't want to do that. That's a hard thing to do. But he said, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. Notice, not my attitude, but your attitude. Not myself, but God, I want you in the center. And that only happens with prayer. And that needs to be a daily thing that we say, God, not my will, but your will. Why? Because God don't want me to do anything. Okay. I've had so many young people tell me this. God's just trying to spoil my fun. God doesn't know. He's got too many restrictions. No, it's because God knows better than you do. And God's plan is better than your plan. And if he says don't do it, don't do it. Because it's for a reason. Because he wants to bring you into more joy and more fun if you just listen to what he has to say. Instead of thinking your 18-year-old brain is far superior than the God of the universe. Which a lot of us do. <laughs> Awful quiet in this church. I'm preaching and it's, it's stepping on everybody's toes. I realize that's why nobody's really responding tonight, but it's okay. The sooner you get this, the better your life will go. That God knows better than you know. His plan is better than your plan. His will is better than your will. And the sooner you say, God, not my will, but your will, watch where your life will go. You'll go places you never knew existed. You'll do things you never knew that you could do, but that's only when you have God at the center of your life and not you at the center of your life. <laughs> so the first thing is to live a God-centered life and not think about self. We need to pray. Why? Because every day it realigns our will our mind and our attitude to be God-centered. You know, in Philippians, where we're reading here, this was known as like the most joyful letter that Paul ever wrote. This was the most joy-filled letter ever. And at the time, let me put you in a little context of this. What was going on at this time? Paul was sitting in prison where most people would not be joyful. Don't make me go down this trail. I will go down this trail. If you don't respond, I will go down this trail. He wrote in Philippians, in prison, about being joyful. In prison. To people who weren't in prison. Shouldn't it be the opposite way around? The church saying to Paul, hey, Paul, cheer up. You'll probably get out someday. And Paul was the one saying, you guys need to be joyful and rejoice. This man is in prison. Don't get me started in 2014. We live in the United States of America. We have so many amenities. And we're complaining because we didn't get the right parking spot. And it stole our joy for the rest of the day. We were just done. I did not get the parking spot at IUS because there is no parking at IUS. <laughs> and it ruined my day. It ruined my day. I did not get french fries at lunch today. And it completely ruined my day. Mom, I said I want french fries on the lunch table when I get home. And I didn't get it, Mom. Ruined my day. Stole my joy. Think about the things that we lose our joy over. Why? Self-centered. <laughs> 
We're in the center. <laughs> take us out. Take us out. We're, we're going out. Put God back in the center. You'll be okay if you don't get a French fry. And if it's from Mickey D's, hello, somebody. The devil is a liar. <laughs> so, Paul, we're back in Paul. And not that Paul. Where's Paul? There you are. Hey, Paul. <laughs> the Apostle Paul. So, he talks about joy more than any other book in Philippians. And he's talking about joy. How can Paul talk about joy? He's in prison. Now, let me give you a picture. It's going to be a disgusting picture, but it's the truth. Um, the prisons today have flat screen TVs, good food, nice blankets. They're pretty nice quality, especially in America. Okay, we're not talking about another country. We're talking about America. Okay. People have amenities even in jail. It's a pretty good life. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You get food. They got TVs. They got places to work out. I'm not saying you should go there, but I'm saying it's not that bad. Philippians, in that period of time, thousands of years ago, the Philippian jail, do you know what it was? It was pretty much a hole in the ground. And specifically where Paul was, was probably where they dumped the sewer system. So, picture this. Apostle Paul sitting in feces, sewage, in a dark, dungy prison, talking about, you all need to rejoice and be joyful. How could he do that? He's not crazy. But he learned something, to live a God-centered life and not a self-centered life. Why? Because if you live a God-centered life, it doesn't matter what circumstances you go through, you still have your joy. Why? Because you still have God. So whether you're in the prison, sitting in feces, or you're in the king's house, it doesn't matter because you still have God at the center of your life. And he's your joy, not your circumstance. And he's your joy, not your Instagram likes. He's your joy. Nobody commented on my Facebook when I cried out. He's your joy. I had a new outfit at school and nobody said anything. He's your joy. But you got to have him at the center or he's not going to be. You know, the, the Apostle Paul, he spoke about joy so much in this passage, but um, I want to share something before we go to the second point. We're still talking about prayer. He talked about joy, and really, this whole pattern is throughout the book of Philippians, but I wrote this down earlier. It was in one of the commentaries I was reading. So let's take the word joy. J, correct. <laughs> All right, Christian Academy education here. O, Y. Did I spell it right? Yes, I did. It's not, it's not that hard of a word. Joy. And so there's a pattern that he talks about in the book of Philippians over and over again. You want to know what it is? To have joy, you know what it should be? Jesus first, others, yourself. Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. Notice, when you start stepping out of joy, what happened? The order got messed up, didn't it? 
Can we all just be honest in here? When you, when you step out of joy, something took a different position here. You either put yourself in the first position, you put others in the first position, but the right way in the way of the kingdom of God is God first, others second, yourself third. So I'm not preaching, don't ever think about yourself, because you need to. You need to take care of yourself. We want you healthy. You need to take a shower. You need to put some deodorant on. We don't want you to look like a hot mess. You need to take care of yourself, okay? But you're not what's most important. There's an order to the things of God. So if you want joy in your life, look at the order. When you step out of joy, look at the order. Because if Jesus is first and others are second and you are third where you're supposed to be, you'll have joy. You don't, ha- you don't have to come in here and pray, God, give me joy. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. No, you won't have to pray that. It will be there but only if you live a God-centered life. You ready for the second point? So number one, prayer. Number two, purpose. Galatians 2. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Y'all get anything tonight? (laughs) This is the first time I ever preached any message like this, so we're seeing how it goes tonight. Galatians 2 and verse 20. So if you want to live a God-centered life and forget about yourself, first is prayer, but second is purpose. Galatians 2 and verse 20, it says, Notice, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live now in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and notice who gave himself for me. So first of all, to live a God-centered life, you need to pray. But second of all, you need to know you have a purpose. And your purpose on this planet is not you. (laughs) Where did everybody go? If you want to live a God-centered life, you're going to have to pray, but you're also going to realize that you have a purpose now in Jesus, and it's not you, and it's bigger than you. And when you understand that, you'll start living a God-centered life because you realize that my purpose is bigger than my preference. My purpose is bigger than what I want. There's a greater purpose ahead of me. Some of you guys in here have big dreams, But guess what? You're never going to get there if you keep putting yourself first. You're never going to get there because you've got to realize the purpose that God has for you, you're going to have to sell out to completely if you want to get there. And that now that you're in Jesus, you have a purpose for living, and it's not just you. Before Jesus, before Christ, before you got saved, it was you and only you but now that you're saved you have a bigger purpose and it's not you one purpose is you have fellow believers in a church family that needs you not just locally but globally the church needs you so it's not about you but there's a lost and dying world that needs you and your purpose is bigger than you but you'll never step into your purpose living a self-centered life 
So we see that it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is he saying? What is he saying here? My old self has been crucified with Christ. A lot of people like that because they love Jesus as Savior. I love it. I love you as my Savior. But they don't like him as Lord. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) American Christian. (laughs) He's my Savior, but I'm still in charge. I'm talking to myself. This happens every day. It happens to all of us every day. We have a choice to make. Who's in charge of my life, really? I know he's my Savior on on Sundays. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory, glory, glory. Tuesday night, Thursday night even. But the rest of the week, who's really in charge? Because this passage doesn't just mean... Yeah, my sins have been crucified on the cross. That's awesome. It means, guess what? My old life and myself is also dead now. And what does it say? It is no longer I, self, who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you no longer live. I is no longer in charge. But notice it's a choice. God will not enforce his will on you without your permission. So what is it saying here? It's not just talking about sin, it's talking about self. Meaning, if you've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer you that live, but Christ who lives in you. That means that you're not in charge. Self is not in charge. I'm getting pushed back as I say this. I realize that. You are no longer in charge. But Christ who lives in you is in charge. And there's a purpose for your life now. And now it's not about what I want to do. It's about what Christ wants to do through me every day. Why? Because it says he loved me and he gave himself for me. (laughs) Why is he in charge? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Somebody like that you can trust to be in charge of your life. He loved me and he gave himself for me. So it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I live in this body, I live by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You have a purpose for your life now. And it's bigger than you. Let's look over at Romans 12. Woo. Y'all here. You always get good feedback when we're talking about people's flesh. It's not pleasant. Self, that just part on the inside of your stomach starts turning. You feel like your your toes are getting stepped on? Yeah, because it's true for all of us in here, including myself. Romans 12 and verse 1 says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies 
to give your bodies, to give yourself to God because of all He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable that is truly the way to worship Him. But notice it says, I plead with you to give your bodies or yourself to God because all He's done for you. When you really think about that all the time, it's not a hard thing to give yourself to God. Let's just be honest. You can't really think about all that God's done for you and say, no, I still want to do what I want to do. If you're really thinking about it all the time, (laughs) you can't honestly say that. You can't. What happens? We lose sight of what he's done for us. And what happens? We start putting ourselves back in the center. Back in the center. But if we're always thinking about what God has done for us and what God is doing for us, we'll keep him in the center. And notice it's an easy thing now to give our bodies or ourself. Notice it says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. This kind he will find acceptable. This is the true way to worship him. So we talked about prayer and we're talking about purpose. And it says, notice in Galatians 2 and 20, we read this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? Daily, you're going to have to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12 just says it's different. To give your bodies or give yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or it says your act of worship here. You know, when people read this verse, they think, well, God's mean. What? God just wants to fillet me on the altar, cut me up and burn me. Notice it says a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, meaning when you sacrifice to God, it doesn't produce death. It produces life. (laughs) When you sacrifice to God, the only thing that dies are the things that need to die. (laughs) The things you don't want in your life dies, but the things that are good comes to life when you sacrifice to God. But this is... Another way to see it, every day you present your bodies or yourself a living sacrifice, meaning every day you're going to have to put yourself on the altar. It says a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, meaning God is not going to grab you and say, get on the altar, submit your life to me, submit your will to me, do what I want. God won't do that. That's what people want God to do for them, but he won't do that. Why? Because he's a gentleman. And he respects your will. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. Even if it will destroy your life, God will still let you do whatever the heck you want to do. Because he won't override your will. What is he saying here? Present your body a living sacrifice, meaning every day, guess what? Get down on the altar. Every day, present your bodies. Notice you present your bodies or yourself a living sacrifice. Meaning he's not going to grab you and put you here. Every day, you're going to have to put yourself on the altar. 
you know, one of the things I love about this passage is when it says living sacrifices, what is a living sacrifice? Living sacrifices, the only thing that's, that's a hindrance sometimes is they try to get off the altar because they're living. If it was a dead sacrifice, it's there forever. But since you're a living sacrifice, we want to crawl back off the altar. Now, God, I meant it the other day, but today it's just a little much. It's a little too much. But notice, God will not force his will in your life. Even though he knows better, even though he wants better, even though his plan is better, but what do we have to do? We have to present ourselves daily as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And when we do that, we take ourselves out of the center and we put God back in its rightful place, in the center of our lives. You say, well, that, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound what I'm look, like what I'm looking for. But actually, that's the life you were always meant to live. <laughs> and that's the only fulfilling life. And that's the only satisfying life. And that's the only peace-filled life. And that's the only joy-filled life. And until you do it, you won't get what I'm talking about. You can keep saying, well, I know better. I hate it when they preach serious messages at the quarry. I just want to have fun and go to beach parties. (laughs) I'm trying to get you more fun and more fulfillment and more joy. But God can't do that if you won't let him be the sinner. Let's look at one more passage as we close. Matthew 10, in verse 39. I know it was different tonight, but it's good for you and me. Matthew 10, and verse 39. Y'all still here? Y'all still love me? Got a couple looks that... It wasn't... Not you, Charles, but I'm just saying. I'm, I'm relaying this to you because you always have a good, good look at me. It wasn't their spirit looking at me. It was their self looking at me. It, they didn't, the self didn't appreciate it. The spirit enjoyed it, but I realize that. It's okay. Matthew 10, that was definitely a flesh face that was looking at me. Matthew 10 and verse 39. A lot of us know this verse. Matthew 10, 39, notice it says, He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now let me read this from a couple different translations and you'll see it even better. In the New Living it says, if you cling to your life or to yourself, you will lose it. (laughs) Uh, Jesus just breaks it down where there's no wiggle room. There's no gray area in what he's saying here. If you're just thinking about self, you're going to lose in the end. He says it another way like this. You can gain the whole world, but still lose your soul. And it won't be worth it in the end. Don't you like how Jesus just breaks it down like that? No wiggle room. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. 
Isn't that good in the new living? But if you give up your life for me or you give up self for me, you will actually find real life. Why? Because God is at the center. Let me read it from the message. <laughs> if, you weren't, if you weren't slapped by now, the message is here to do that for all of us. In the message, I love it. It, it says it so plainly. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. Listen to this part. Listen to this part. If you haven't listened the rest of this time, listen to this last part of the verse. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. Okay, 25% of you got that verse. Let me read it one more time. If your first concern is to look after yourself. How many young people have you heard that from? I just need to find myself. <laughs> what you going to find when you get there? <laughs> what you going to find, really? You're not going to find anything. I just need to find myself right now. I realize I'm not coming to church right now. It's not that I disagree with pastor. <laughs> I still love church on the rock. I'm just trying to find myself. <laughs> Am I hitting it a little too close to home? I'm sorry. Did, were you thinking that earlier today? <laughs> I just need to find myself. What does Jesus say to that stupid comment? If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. Listen to the rest. But if you forget about yourself and you look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Now that's a good verse right there. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say that's a good verse right there. He says, if you forget about yourself and you look to me or you look to God and put him in the center, you'll find both yourself and me. Would y'all get anything tonight? <laughs> well, I love you and I appreciate you, even though I had some fleshly self faces tonight. Still good for you. I mean, are we all in the same boat? We're all going the same direction, and we need to have some real talks like this. So you know, me, myself, and I. This is just week one of many weeks to go. <laughs> Can we pray tonight? <laughs>